the uh, YouTube link? If you put after the 8,000, no, no, it's not YouTube. This is just the audio. Okay. Uh, hello, everyone. Good evening. Broadcasting live uh, on September 18th. 2015 I have something new something new to show y'all it's not ready yet but I'll show you anyway so here's what I thought the newest thing was going in the wrong direction the idea is to be less worldly, right? Nobody wants to come here and hear about the world. You're coming here to leave the world behind, at least for a time, and to focus on the inner world. So what we really should be doing is encouraging people to take courses, to take meditation courses. I found out that a 10-day course in Toronto costs $500, which is actually pretty cheap. In America, I think it'd be more like $1,000 or more. So it's not bad, but um, why I bring that up? Well, just because I found it out today and it's on my mind, but so we offer free courses ongoing. Um, it's fairly authentic. I mean, I spent a lot of time in at the feet of a master learning how to teach. And I've been teaching all around the world, so I think you know, I've taught lots of people. Good results. Never had anyone go crazy on me, so there's that. Um, so yeah. On the one hand, encouraging people to come to Stony Creek and do courses, but we've been doing that. I think I haven't been advertising, certainly, but the information's there. So if you're interested, and a lot of people are interested in what we're doing, you're really interested and you want to progress and all these questions, how do I get better? How do I be more mindful, etc.? Well, nothing beats doing an actual course in meditation. So, But I think we've done this. And yet, only few people come. So there's reasons for that. It's not easy to come to Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Um, it's not a very well-known center or well-established center, so people are perhaps uh, reluctant to commit to some monk inviting them to his house come meditation center so there's that so anyway the the point of all this bringing all this up is i thought well in the past we've done i've done courses over the internet slower obviously for people who are not committing to doing many many hours of practice a day but who are able to commit to one or two, maybe even three hours a day, and who would meet with me once a week over the internet and slowly go through the course, whereas normally we'd meet once a day, we could meet once a week, we did, we've done this, I've done this, we meet once a week and slowly go through the course, almost to the end. I'm not so comfortable taking a beginner all the way through the course. I'd still recommend that you spend the last week of the course, the last seven sessions, which means seven days, at our center. But nonetheless, you could go through all the steps. You could get to the point where your insight was well established and then could potentially progress on your own. I'm not sure could go through the rest of the course, but it's quite intensive. You'd really need, to, if you wanted to do it at home, I think it's possible, but you would really 
want to spend minimum, minimum five days without doing anything. And you could do it at home. Anyway, so this is what I've done. I've never actually done that part, but I think it could be done. Problem is not being with the teacher. You just want to make sure that everything's going well. But we we have this connection over the internet. It's quite a good connection. So there is that. So I thought, well, we can set up, and I've thought of this before. We could set up uh, appointments, or you could sign up for an appointment sign up for a slot, a time slot, and then we'd meet once a week at that time for, I don't know, probably half an hour is better than 15 minutes. We could say half an hour, but it limits the number of people. So so anyway, um, started working on this, and here's sort of what it would look like. It's just really a mock-up right now. Although not, it's it's almost almost functional. Just doesn't actually make the step of sending any data. But you can click and you can see what would happen. If you click on one of the slots, here, let me pull it up so people on YouTube are watching this later. Let's see. Okay. So you'd have. These are the times. This is UTC, so it's actually 6 p.m. Here is when I was thinking of doing it. 6 p.m. Eastern. These are UTC times. And each one of these is a slot. And when you click on it, it would... The idea is that it would um, find your username. You'd have to be logged in, of course. And if it was available, it, it's changing, which means... If you click when it's available, it would give you the appointment. If you click when it's unavailable, if you click and you are the person who has an appointment at that time, it would it would uh, remove the appointment. So it would make it available again, toggling it, basically. That's the idea. Anyway, that's the interface. But then we'd have this chart, and we could all see. And then what it would do, I think, as well, is it, it would calculate whether you have an upcoming appointment and if the appointment was if it was time for the appointment there'd be a button and there's this new thing where it's called WebRTC where you can uh, you know you can have real-time chat without having to use Google or Skype or anything like that just using Chrome or Firefox maybe even Internet Explorer um, you click on a button and it would send a link to me, I think, by email. And then I click on that link and suddenly we have a webcam chat without any, just by, just from the link, just both of us being on the same page, something like that. Anyway, it would be ideal if I could find someone to code this all or help with the coding anyway. Otherwise, it's probably slow going and probably sloppy and as you can see, amateurish. Anyway, so that's something. What do you think? I think that looks great. That'd be useful. Definitely. I have to see. I mean, I'm not personally overburdened right now, so it's not a big deal for me to add that time. I was planning on doing it anyway, but locally, you know, having an hour maybe a little earlier. No, that's probably that time just because of other commitments. And doing recording anyway, but locally. So doing it over the Internet is just the same. But it really would be nice if someone could help me figure out how the WebRTC thing works. How to make that work. So when they click on a button, when a person uh, clicks on a button, it somehow connects. I don't think it's that difficult. 
Okay, so I think we have a quote, right? We do. Do you want like to read that for us, please? Sure. These five advantages come to the virtuous person because of his practice of virtue. What five? Concerning this, the virtuous person possessed of virtue because of his earnestness accumulates great wealth. The virtuous person possessed of virtue gains a good reputation. Again, into whatever company the virtuous person enters, whether nobles, Brahmins, householders, or monks, he does so confidently and unconfused because of his virtue. Further, the virtuous person possessed of virtue dies without bewilderment. And finally, the virtuous person possessed of virtue is reborn in heaven after his death. So there you go. You don't have to believe in heaven to agree with uh, virtue. This this argument about God really is find I find it confusing. The idea that you need God for goodness to understand goodness and evil is really odd. Because you know, like if you kill someone, it's a bad thing. You need God for that. You take drugs and alcohol, there's uh, drugs, it's debatable, some drugs maybe. But if you take alcohol, there are consequences. It's objectively, and by objectively, it, by objectively we don't mean in the modern sense, which to me isn't, isn't the meaning of the word objective at all. Like, by objective, you mean because God said so. That's not objective. God is totally subjective. Why does God get to say what's right? Well, I mean, of course, there's reasons. I don't mean to oversimplify that. But by objective, we mean not based on partiality, not based on, not based on. Random? No, it's not the word. Not based on our own ideas, whims, or that kind of thing. No, subject, sub subjectivity. Right? It's just we've, I think, in modern times, we've confused um, this 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 judgmental mind or this partial mind or this whimsical mind you know, with any and all experience. We assume that all experience is subjective, which, and that's where I disagree and what I find surprising. But it's that, really, that there's a, there's a confusion between experience and, and subjectivity. Like, I see, I have an experience right now of seeing, and that's objective. It's not subjective. The my computer is beautiful. It's subjective. You know that face looking back at me. He's a handsome guy. That's subjective. My teeth, ugly. Eh? That's subjective. But objective. Um, there there are objective things about experience. I mean, you could say conventionally, it's objective that uh, I have a nose, and it's objective that I can see my nose, but that's only conventionally. So you could argue that there's somewhat of a subjectivity there because I'm assuming something that uh, that isn't perfectly obvious. It isn't completely obvious that I do have a nose or that I am touching my nose. And yet it is completely, it is perfectly obvious that there is an experience of touching and an experience of seeing. What exactly is being seen is, is up for debate. I could be in, a ma in this matrix, you know, it could be a, tied to a machine that's making me think, 
we're studying Descartes now, and I really like the guy, some of the things he says. We haven't gotten to dualism yet, but we're in the moment, in the point, at the point where he um, he points out that um, we don't know whether we're actually seeing what we think we're seeing. What I think he misses is the fact that we do know that we're seeing. Uh, and we haven't gotten through all of his meditations yet. I've never read much of Descartes. Never had much interest, but but okay. So the point here is that we have some measure of objectivity in regards to morality or, or virtue. We have it somewhat objective that uh, killing is wrong. Yes, that's somewhat objective. It's not completely objective because in in perfect in perfectly objective terms nothing is wrong. But what we can say if we want to be precise, we can say uh, the intention behind any act of killing is accompanied by unwholesome mind state accompanied by mind states which are uh, precursors necessary a sufficient i guess a sufficient precursor which necessarily become the precursor for suffering that's the point which necessarily become the precursor for uh, for aversion, for further, it's not even true, for suffering. It's still conventional, so it's somewhat subjective. The benefit of morality, true benefit of morality from a totally objective point of view is simply that it allows the mind to understand. It paves the way for understanding. Morality allows you to concentrate virtue allows you to concentrate without virtue so what you could say is um, these unwholesome states that are involved with killing these states involved with killing stealing lying cheating uh, any unwholesome states have the effect of clouding the mind of causing us to cultivate subjectivity or partiality to not see see things as they are to be unable to see things as they are so we'll we'll see something and we'll say this is going to bring me happiness when in fact that thing or that behavior or whatever is going to bring us suffering it's like objectively you can say if you're if if i were to head north i wouldn't get closer to the united states it's not possible for me to drive north and get closer to the United States. That's somewhat, you know, conventionally objective. There's it has nothing to do with my own view or my own idea. It's not because I'm Buddhist. It's not because I'm a monk. It's just fact. Within those parameters, heading north doesn't get me closer to the United States. So we can say that about morality. When you cultivate morality, it gets you closer to a concentrated state. When you cultivate certain mind states that we call immorality or, or lack of unvirtuousness, virtueless, virtuelessness. That's not a word. Um, whatever it is, we it gets you further away from concentration which in turn or focus you could say and by not being in focus you can't see clearly by being in focus that allows for wisdom to arise that's about all you can say all these other ones are actually conventional because a cynic would say well what good is heaven what good are all these things right what real benefit is there to having a good reputation right sometimes a good reputation makes you egotistical
and who cares what other people think of you, right? You go into into this company, who cares whether they whether they appreciate us or not? So why should we be worried about how what state we're in? The point is that there that someone who is guilty of unwholesomeness is is going to feel guilty and is going to have low confidence, little confidence, more likely to. As I said before, it's possible. You know, we all know it's possible to have confidence even when you're unvirtuous, you know, to, to, to appear to be confident and to fake it somewhat anyway. It's not the same really. It's not the same as a true confidence, true self-possession. He says, um, because of his earnestness, and I think the word is apamada, Silava sila sampano apamadadi karanam mahantang boga kandang adikachati. So it's not earnestness, it's apamada, which is vigilance or um, freedom from intoxication, sobriety, really, the clarity of mind. So that's it's an important, or you might say vigilance in this case, it's um, more dealing with being vigilant in keeping. Uh, being careful in keeping the precepts. But you could also say that being uh, being possessed of virtue allows you to be self-possessed, allows you to be alert. These people who are immoral tend to be... You know, the, the reason we call these things immorality is because of what they do to the mind, and the point is that they tend to lead one to be less careful, less alert, less vigilant, less able to react and react uh, beneficially, positively. But nonetheless, we don't just deal in ultimate reality and in conventional sense all of these things are good, even going to heaven. You could even say that going to heaven is great for practicing meditation. You've got lots of time and sitting still for months on end doesn't cause you any discomfort and there's lots of Buddhists up in heaven because they've all done this, they've all cultivated morality so if you, there's one teacher in Bangkok who said, don't be born as a human again don't even think of it if you want to be born again, if you're going to be born again be born in heaven why? because that's where all the Buddhists are all the famous Buddhists that we read about in these stories, all of them have gone to one or another of the heavens so once you're in the heavenly realms you can, to some extent, you can go up and down, go from one level to another, go visiting, listening to talks, practicing meditation, getting advice. We're like paupers down here, poor people living in poverty with a little bit of Dhamma and a little bit of time to practice the Dhamma. Here we, we complain about having to pay $500 for a course. No, it's not It's not actually the price tag. It's kind of that there is a price tag. It's kind of off-putting. Anyway, we've talked about that before. Um, but on the other hand, you know, it is kind of because sometimes, like we're having this thing on Sunday and someone said like a potluck, called it a potluck because I wasn't sure how we were going to organize it. And um, it said to someone, hey, you want to come? And he said... He was kind of shy, but then he didn't want to say it. He said, well, I, I don't really have any money. And I said, oh, well, you know, it's okay. You, you, know, you don't have to bring food. Just come bring your appetite. But it's like, sometimes it's to that extent, you know. If, if, there's, a, if there's a requirement for participation, then that's not how things work. I've talked about this before. It's called the free lunch theory. You know, there's no such thing as a free lunch. That saying, well, I said, this is wrong. This is not Buddhist. There is two such thing as a free lunch. And that's the correct way of thinking. Uh, resources should be allocated as necessary. As required. I'm getting off tra track, though. So, point was, I can't remember what the point was, but point is that virtue is good. Virtue is awesome. And if you ever have this kind of... In the, lock in your brain the inability to think of what the benefit of virtue is 
here we have five good benefits of virtue. Being a virtuous person. So, anyway. A lot of these sayings are, are populist sayings. You know, they're, they're nice, but they're not very deep or very um, insightful for our meditation. So they're, they're nice to know. Useful in that sense. You're certainly useful for meditators, but I want to know. Have some questions? We do. Well, this one might be, um, know, maybe it's already answered. What defines a virtuous person in Buddhism? More specifically talking, well, there's fourfold. This is morality is, is probably more uh, familiar to people. But it's the word sila. Sila is often translated as morality. Um, but he like he's using virtue because it's more poetic and it's less harsh. Morality sounds like kind of a puritanical or goody two shoes, you know, very hardcore zealot. You know, it sounds too too hard. So virtuous sounds more comfortable, but it really means not doing evil, not doing things that that cause suffering. It's the abstention mainly. But there's a fourfold. Sila is actually, in detail, it's fourfold. So one is keeping rules. So as a lay person, keeping the five precepts or the eight precepts, as a monk or a novice, means keeping more precepts. Second one is morality in regards to your, your um, possessions. So having the things that you use, the things that you own, using them appropriately, using them for what they're meant to be used for, and reflecting on that and being careful not to, you know, you don't buy a sports car just to race around, but you do buy a car if you need to get to work, that kind of thing. As a monk, you have a robe. Just This clothing is just a robe. It's just a, something to cover your body because it keeps you warm or cool because it covers up your nakedness. That's about it. Using medicine only for the purpose of really, truly uh, healing physical sickness, not for, I guess, a drug. Not abusing medicines or using them when you don't need them, etc., etc. Number two. Number three is livelihood, purification of livelihood. So the ultimate pure livelihood is to um, take what is given, you know, what other people want you to have. If someone wants you to have it, then you take it. If they, don't want you if no one is giving you anything then you be patient without it you go without it that's ultimate but you know there's a lot of degrees of it and for an ordinary sense it just means not doing anything immoral for your livelihood and number four is sense restraint so morality in terms of guarding our eyes when we walk looking down at the ground like I walk around on universe. Well, I remember walking around in America, and uh, I was with a young Thai, Thai American man. He was helping me, and he said, "You know, wherever you go, whenever you walk past the store, all the people's heads go like this all at once in unison." And I, was, and I noticed. I looked up once and noticed that, and it's true. It's really a bit conspicuous being a monk in the West. But I don't notice it because I, as monks, we have rules to keep our eyes down. So guarding your senses, physically guarding them in terms of looking down when you walk or so on, not looking around, not um, seeking out sights and sounds and smells and tastes, but also being mindful. It's also this part of morality has a lot more to do with meditation. So that's the fourfold sila or virtue. More questions? I think Robin may have left us. She said she had family coming. So that means no more questions, right? Let's see. 
how could I overcome anxiety during a task? Well, you meditate, use the practice, use the teachings. I've got several videos on, videos on anxiety. Seems to come up a lot. So you can watch some of those videos. What rebirth can a virgin who has not made any physical contact with women hope to expect? Where did this come up recently? Comes up often, you know. It's 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 actually this is actually an excuse monks give for disrobing, because they say they've they, they get monks who are ordained as young novices will give because they've never had a girlfriend and they say, well, they haven't really experienced life. It's a real sneaky excuse because that's what it is. It's not a reason, it's an excuse. But um, there's, no, there's no direct correlation between whether you've had physical contact with a woman. I mean, if anything, physical contact with a woman would increase your your desire and your attachment. But but apart from that. I mean the point is that the strong attachment that you may have not having had um, relations with a woman would would only get stronger if you had relations with a woman. What you what what happens when you when you if you weren't mindful but you know you were craving it but never actually found someone who was compatible in their desires. Um, you'll cultivate something I think a little bit different. It's more like a sense of anxiety, worry, fear, anger, self-hatred, a lot of these things, not just desire. And they're also, you know, it can be terrible. Like Mahasi Sayadaw gives this, points this out, he gives this story, because he's talking about how you can never, you can't, desire something you've never experienced um, a sense desire right so if you've never seen a um, jujube berry or jujube fruit um, if you've never heard or seen or smelt or tasted felt a jujube, jujube fruit you can't desire it. Except when I say fruit, you might think of other fruit. And when I say jujube, you might think about those little jelly things that are delicious. And then you think, ah, and then you like it. But only because you've had jujube candies and you've had fruit before, other fruit. It has to be related, but... So he was talking about this, and he brings up this this example in the commentaries of this man who was was reborn from the Brahma realms, the Brahma gods. So he had been a Bra he'd been a god before, and he was reborn as a human being. And as a result of being in the Brahma realms for so long, he had no desire for um, getting married or, or any any romantic involvement whatsoever. It had it had been suppressed. And so he didn't want to get married. And they pushed him and pushed him. His parents pushed him and pushed him until finally he said, okay, fine. And so he created this statue, just the most perfect, most beautiful, most sexually desirable woman statue. And he said, if you can find me a woman like that, then I will get married. A woman who looks like this. And they will get married. So they took it all over India, and they didn't find a woman. They couldn't find a woman who looked like this. Till finally, they came to one village, and the villagers saw the statue and said, "Why do you have a Why do you have a statue of of our of this this village girl?" And it turns out she looked exactly like the statue. 
and when he found out when he found this out he um he got lovesick he suddenly the desire arose in him uh even though he'd he'd never seen this woman i think he how does the story end i think he dies in the end because he was so i can't remember there's something about letters and and something and there's several stories that are similar but he gets he basically gets so lovesick that i think he dies or something like that maybe some tipitaka scholar can remind me of that story exactly how it goes but the point is not not even having contact destroyed him his desire destroyed him but it's not just desire in that case it's a lot of other emotions as well the the problem with sexual activity is it cultivates the actual desire and it gets you very much stuck in the world it's quite pleasant and it's around it's part of mara's trap because you know it seems great there's no real downside to it, it it helps your health as well, I think. But it keeps you stuck in samsara. So it's part of this philosophy. If you're fine being born again and again as a human being, if you really enjoyed you know, childhood where your parents yelled at you and having to learn and having to bump your head and fall downstairs and burp and puke and all this and then go through puberty and as a teenager in school and gangs and cliques and grades and teachers and detention and so on and then university or college or getting a job and so on if you really like this doing this again and again then by all means seek out sexual activity pleasure romance they're part and parcel they're the blood smeared on the bone that you get to gnaw on and try to satiate your hunger You back, Robin? I am. I think I missed one before um, regarding the uh, meeting with you once a week. The mm -hmm. question was if that can be done for uh, by someone who's working full time. You have to have time to do a couple of hours a day at least. But yeah, that's the idea. So as long as the person has two to three hours a day. Yeah. Awesome. But it's Did, not up. It's probably going to take a little longer because unless someone can help me with coding. Okay, we can put that on the volunteer. We can bring that up at the volunteer meeting too. Yeah, I'm kind of hesitant to because they've got a lot of tasks we've given them already, and they haven't they look, one of them yet. They they look like a great group. They'll they'll get it done. Um, did you already answer how can I overcome anxiety during a task? Yes. So then we're on. We just finished the virgin one. Pardon? We just finished the virgin one. Okay. Can beings meditate and become enlightened in heaven? Yes. Would you still like food to be brought to the potluck or is it covered now? I think it's covered. I mean bring if you like, but you don't feel don't feel the need to. Just come if you'd like. And if we don't have I, here's what I think. We've, we've probably got more than enough food already and we're going to have leftovers. So I'm thinking tomorrow I'm going to send another email to the McMaster Buddhism Association telling them, come on out, don't worry, please come. We need people to help us eat food at the very least. Or maybe not quite like that. But And then if that means too many people come and it turns out there's not enough food, then we'll just order Anthony's coming, I think. Are you, is Anthony here? He was here. Anthony's coming. Yes, he is. Um, tomorrow, I hope. Maybe. Either way, we'll have someone who can do an, do an, a restaurant order and just get something like. Sounds good. Could you comment on the attachment of continuation of the self as a roadblock to Nibbana? Self, well, 
first and foremost self is a misunderstanding of reality. It's a paradigm, a way of looking at the world that prevents you from seeing impermanent suffering and non-self. It prevents you from seeing things arising and ceasing. It's incompatible with the progress of insight. If you read my second book that I've started writing, that's the idea I'm trying to give. Or the, it's, it's a, I'm afraid it might be a little too technical in its wording, but I've tried to be tried to lay out precisely the 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 path that you go to from a belief in self to the experience of things arising and ceasing without the, the interaction of a self, without any self. So, you know, it's not like it being a roadblock, it's it being the default state is the belief in self. And Nibbana is very much the giving up of that belief or that state, that yeah, you know, that belief. So it's not a, it's not even just a roadblock, it's giving up that belief is one way of explaining enlightenment because you change the way you look at the world. That's really, I mean, we could talk about conventionally how it makes you egotistical and, and conceited, but all of those are just conventional terms for this confusion that goes on. This, uh, because not the view of self, but the illusion and the idea of conception of self and me and mine and so on, is what really gives rise to greed and anger and all these other unpleasantness. Like a sotapanna is perfectly moral. They don't have, they have perfect morality. They don't kill, they don't steal, they don't cheat, they don't lie. They don't take drugs and alcohol because they have no wrong view, because they have no view of self. It takes wrong view to do those things. One day in February, I visited a two-week meditation course in the International Buddhist Center at Pratadu Sutte. What Pratadu Sutte? I, I heard that you. Years. I heard that you were staying at Doi Sutte Monastery for some time. I am curious. What would you say about this meditation center? Um, it's an awesome place to meditate. The uh, reason I went up there is because Doisutep is is really awesome, or it used to be. And I think it's after I left, they built this huge meditation. Of course, after I left, we'd been pushing for it and pushing for it. And then after I leave, they finally take it seriously. That's just my karma. And they've got a beautiful, you know, lots of kutis and in the, in the rainforest. Um, so the place is awesome. I think the teacher's proficient. I heard that he smoked cigarettes, which is always a bit of a weird one. But I've heard that. I'm not sure if it's true. Um, but I've heard good things. People who have practiced with him have found him insightful. It's funny, when I came back to visit, they were just continuing the, the schedule that we had started. So I don't know if they've changed from that. So we do morning talks, evening talks, and daily reporting. Yeah, I think it'd be a good place. I've heard only good things. Many of us, sorry. It's a little bit busy as a place, maybe. A lot of meditators go there. Is it a large center? Well, it's a tourist attraction. It's Everyone goes there. You, it's full of tourists during the day. But the neat thing is the meditation center is a little bit down from the main attraction. So you don't even ever hear the tourists or see them. All you hear are the bells ringing because they ring all these bells all day. So you hear these off in the distance, but it's so peaceful. It's in a rainforest and it's up high, so it's cool. And all the tourists leave at 6 p.m. So after that time, you've got this whole beautiful, well-built, well-set-up, rich, you know, just awesome... It's a view of this of Chiang Mai city. You're up on a mountain looking down at the city and this big veranda or whatever it's called. 
that you can meditate on and it's warm because the sun has been warming it. And what I would do is in the, at 9 p.m. they do chanting and then they lock up the, the, the golden uh, chedio stupa pagoda um, because it's got like a ton of gold up at the very top and it's actually very much worth stealing. So they've got lots of guards and they lock it up. So I, a couple of times I had them lock me up in there and I just did meditation up there all night. And it was, it's cold and just an awesome place to meditate. Many of us lay people have pets and inevitably wind up in situations of deciding whether to put the animal down when really sick. Is this breaking precept? Putting it down like when you're holding it in your hands and then putting it on the floor? Is that what you mean? No, I think I think they mean uh, euthanizing the animal, putting yeah, it down. I know what they mean. Mm. It's a horrible thing to say. How can you call killing a sentient being putting it down? Because, you know, that society tells you that's what you're supposed to do to prevent suffering. Like it's a robot, you know? You turn it on, from you get it from the pound, and then you activate it, put the batteries in. And then it stays with you for several years, and when it malfunctions, turn it off. Take the batteries now. Something like that. We want clean, right? This isn't clean. This is a sentient being. Pets are, pets are messy. They're, it's a sentient being, and if you take responsibility for that life, then that's full responsibility. That's why people spend thousands of dollars on veterinarian care. Putting it down is no different from relative. The only the only con the only thing that you could conscionable is a word like that where it's something that you can do in good conscience is um pulling the plug in the sense of letting them die naturally, right? It's on artificial life support. And I would argue that you could you could withdraw that. It's, it's actually still debatable because you are killing it, and my teacher wouldn't go for that. He said, um, he said, you never know. You never know when they might make a recovery. And the idea is that being... This is for humans. The idea that for being a human, it's a great thing to stay as a human and have a chance to do good things. You don't know where they're going when they die. But for animals, this is why you shouldn't have pets. There's no question. Pets are a problem. First of all, because they tend to be immoral. That's not a good reason, but... It's partially a reason. Cats especially can be just vicious killers. For the most part they are and you don't know it. They go out at night and you think, oh, cute cat going out at night. It's going to kill the squirrels and mice and just tear them apart and then play with them. Break, they sever their backbones. Not the question. Then they bring them back to you and they want you to be very pleased that they've brought you this present. That happens. <clears throat> Not only are they vicious and cruel, but they have no conception of how vicious and cruel they are. They have no conception that it's wrong. That's great. That's not really the, the point. The point is, no, I mean, as a Buddhist, no, you have no uh, right to take the life of that being. Not the riot, you know. It's a problem for you if you do it. It gets you more stuck in samsara. Why is why why we can why sometimes it's confusing because you think, well, we're taking we're putting them out of their misery, right? We think that. That's a, that's based on delusion, not a from a Buddhist point of view, that's incorrect understanding of the situation. Killing someone doesn't take away their pain. It just makes them die in a state of pain and confusion and fear and 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 you know it's an, an unnatural death. Um, 
and it's not allowing them the opportunity to work out their karma. And this is, you know, this is just me saying this, but it actually is borne out in fact. When you talk to people who work in hospice care, they can see, they all, they'll often tell you, I have a friend who we talked about this and she had worked in hospice care, probably still does. And time and again, she would see people just the moment before they passed away, they would suddenly clear up like as though they were done, like as though they, all the pain had worked its course and they had a clear mind and they could die having completed something. Having, you know, this is a natural death. An unnatural death interrupts that. So suicide is problematic. It's trying, you know, it's, it's the inability to deal with reality. It's very dangerous. When I finish my work, I feel my mind speed up. Could you give me advice to slow it down before meditating? Lying meditation? Sometimes walking meditation or just walking, you know, walking back and forth at a normal pace and saying walking, walking, walking. It's kind of like cheating meditation. It's because a lot easier. But it's a good way to ease yourself into it. Because you, know, you start being mindful, you say walking, 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 go back and forth. But then sometimes you'll find walking meditations easier. Sometimes you'll find lying meditation. Lying meditation should calm you down. That's the thing. It's best when you're just when your mind is moving quickly. The problem is after work, you're also tired. You know, your brain is working hard, but your body fatigued actually, so you might fall asleep. Sometimes that's inevitable. It's an inevitable rebalancing. You should never really think that your meditation after you come home from work is going to be a chance to just bliss out. It could be if you're practicing samadha. I'm not sure, not convinced, but in vipassana it certainly isn't. It's more a means of, of doing this ordering of your mind. It can be somewhat stressful, you know, painful, and you feel the headache and you feel mind running around in circles but it's learning how to be objective about that to not react to it, not to upset let your mind work itself out because it will if you're objective Bonte, is there one mind or are beings on their own path interacting with different minds can you read my mind I can't, no. Then I think we have different minds. I think so. What is the best way to help someone who is of old age or dying and has trouble moving on? Teach them to be mindful, you know. That's the best way. No, okay. Most of the time that's not an option, right? Talk to them. Talk to them about your meditation. I find what helps, you know, it's just to tell people about how it works for you, you know. I mean, it's the best you can do. It's not like that's going to work all the time, but remember, we're not, we're not, it's not the path to fix other people's lives. It doesn't really work that way. We're not, we're not capable of fixing people. We're not, not the best use of our time. The Buddha was critical of that. We should be looking, watching our own feet, the Buddha said. When you're walking together with someone else, don't look at their feet and make sure they walk in the right direction. Look at your feet. You can be a guide for them if you're watching your feet. So, so it's really kind of not what you can do to help them, but what should you do? When you see someone suffering, you should relate to them the benefits of meditation, how it's helped you and so on, and suggest it to them. But then it's completely up to them whether they're going to do it. And that's how it should be. It shouldn't be pushy. just creates in your mind some unwholesomeness. Can you speak on the fear of permanent suffering 
fear. Fear is based on anger. You should get rid of it. Try to say to yourself, afraid, afraid. And Anthony will be there on Sunday. He said, yes, he will. I think he's coming Saturday, actually. Ah, uh, even better. Speaking of Saturday, I won't be here tomorrow. I'll be I'll be away. I'll see you again on Sunday night. So have a great celebration on Sunday. Thank you. We also have something else I've been trying to get to work. I think it works now. If you go to webcam, webcam.sirimongolo.org. Let's see a picture of our living room. It's actually just a static picture right now, but that is where the webcam is. And if I click a button, I think right now I have to be there to turn the webcam on. It'll start uploading pictures to our server. So we might use that on Sunday. That would be cool. That would be nice. People could see what's going on. It would be nice to have a, a new video for the um, for the online fundraising campaign too. If you if by any chance there was a little video that came of this, that would be cool. Just to show people, you know, show supporters the progress of, of what's going on here. This is all kind of in the planning mm -hmm. stage at the beginning of that. The video is outdated. Yeah, because it it was really you made the video when it was still on the planning stage. You didn't have um, I don't think there was uh, a place rented, and certainly wasn't you know coming together like this is. This is nice. It's great progress for just you know two months, not even two months. I don't think. Yeah, from an idea to reality, right? Yes. So. Before I had, I had linked the contact form for the contact form at sirimongolo.org. I mean, is that something that are you ready to receive contact from people who are um, interested in doing a residential course there, or is it still too early? Absolutely, yeah, come. Okay. You can only take like one or two people at a time. What are you saying about the contact form, though? It's still coming to me, I think, isn't it? Okay, I just wanted to make sure because I know it. At one time, not so long ago, there was a problem with the contact form. It wasn't, it, there something was broken and you weren't getting the information. And I also wasn't sure, since you've just moved in and just started classes, if you were ready to take on residential meditators. So if if that's all set, maybe I'll... Absolutely. No, I mean, if it came, if it came to um, having people come and meditate and taking courses and I had to choose one, I'd quit school for sure. I think that's reasonable. I'm not, I mean, I'm, I'm actually sort of, it's a question in the mind whether it's really necessary to take undergraduate courses. Somehow the idea of getting my degree, you know, getting a degree is somehow, you know, becoming a, a, a chaplain in North America, in, in Canada, um, you need to, Go through some studies, and they require you to have a bachelor degree. So, I don't know. I mean, that's for people who want to make money as a chaplain. I don't need any of this, really. My father's happy about it, so there's that. I kind of fell into it, but that's. But the point is, much more important is getting this meditation center functional and get having people here meditating. Right now, being at the university is is helpful for that as well. I'm meeting a lot of people, and people are interested. So, I won't let it get in the way of teaching. Okay. Anyway, one hour. So we'll be back tomorrow, and then I'll be back. Right now I'm in Stony Creek, if you didn't notice. Um, tomorrow I'm going to have already uh, borrowed plates and and a whole bunch of stuff from the kitchen here. 
able with us hopefully tomorrow. Um, a whole bunch of stuff just to use for Sunday. So Saturday, Saturday tomorrow I'll be back online. And Sunday we don't have our daily stuff. That's all for today. Thank you for tuning in. Peace. Thank you, Bante. Good night.